das vis parshas misitru acheru kana Before we begin today's, uh, tonight's class, just a few dedications. Um, the shir was dedicated by David Kaufman. And this is in honor of his father's upcoming yardside, Gedalia Baruch ben Rebvelvel Alevi, whose yardside is the 24th of Adar, of the first Adar. May his neshama have a very great aliyah to the greatest of heights. And may Hashem channel, may he, may he channel, and may Hashem channel through him. Lots of brachas to you and your family both in the material and in the spiritual, uh, for mazel bracha and everything good, and also a big mazel tov and a shnas bracha na'atzlacha to your son Ari on his upcoming birthday, the Shabbos. May he have a wonderful, wonderful good year. Yashukayach David for that dedication. Another dedication this week was by Rina Hirsch, and uh, this is on the, on the uh, shear that is online on our website. And this is in honor of a dear friend who had passed away, uh, Sarah Bas Rivka. Uh, may her neshama have, may this be to the schus of her neshama uh, for great merit um, and to stand by her for all that she needs. And uh, this should reciprocate to you and much brach and mazel to you and your family. Thank you so much. The podcast this week, um, the Shiuramar can be accessed um, through um, the through the um, CDs uh, online on our website, you can podcast it. Many people listen on the podcast. So the shir on the podcast was dedicated by Mr. Eli Rubin, and this is the sake for the sake of the big mitzvah of spreading Torah. So I want to thank you, Eli, for this dedication. May Hashem bless you and your family for much, much, much brach and mazel and only good. In everything, begashmi is a beruchni is a lot of atzlacha and a lot of bracha, and only, 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 only good things. The CD this week, uh, we have two dedications on the CD. Um, this was uh, it was dedicated by Michael and Sasha Parker, and this is in honor of their children. May and bless them to grow up uh, in good health. And may you and your wife raise them in good health, and may they be healthy and grow up to give you a lot of lichtiki yiddish anachas. Much, 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 much success in everything and uh, only, only good uh, in your family. Thank you so much. 
um, before I do the next dedication, which is very special, I want to announce very, very exciting news. Baruch Hashem, Mayon Yisrael had launched a Mayon app. And I'd like everyone, if you have a moment on your Android phones or on your iPhones, you can go to the iPhone App Store or you can go to the uh, Google Play, the uh, Android App Store and download for free our new Mayon app. All you have to do is put in the word Mayon, spelled correctly, M-A-A-Y-O-N, and you'll see pop up right on the top the Mayon app. Please download this app. It's very, very special because you can have access to all of the shiurim and all the classes given at Mayan and Yisrael all the time. The Monday night Parsha My Life class, the Thursday night in-depth Hasidic discourse that we study sometimes for three, four hours. That class is available as soon as we upload it on our website. It's on our app. You can also listen to our new exciting Mashiach Matters class, which is also um, on the app and uh, various other shiurim and classes. So this is really, really wonderful. Hopefully, uh, our daily inspirational video is also going to be on the app. It's not on it yet, but it's going to be coming soon. So I'd like. So if this is really, really great. This gives you access to all the classes immediately for nonstop inspiration. So again, all you need to do is Mayon M A A A Y two A's. I'm sorry, double A M A A Y O N, um, and download the app and please share it with a friend. Uh, let someone else benefit and let's spread the word that there's so much Torah and there's so much light available on your phones. This is an an ability to uh, use your phone for something really, really good. So again, and if you'd like to, you can give us a good rating. And if you really like the app, you can also press donate and donate something and contribute. That will also help us a lot. And I'd like to thank the creator of the app, Yosef Floman, who dedicated countless hours to putting together and making such a beautiful app. May Hashem bless him with infinite blessings, with endless and boundless bracha and everything for his Masiris Nafish and total devotion. He volunteered the entire project and that is very, 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 very special for him. I'd also like to thank a sponsor for this app and that is Yossi Yossi Schneerson and and Yehuda Schneerson uh, uh, from Shomer Insurance um, who have... Uh, sponsored this special app. May Hashem bless them with abundant, abundant, abundant blessings. So now, back to this last dedication. I'd like to dedicate the first shear after the app. I mean, there's many shear I'm on it already because as the app was launched, it has already all the past classes as well. But this first app after the announcement, the first shear after the announcement that the app is available. So this has been sponsored by Anonymous. Uh, and it's been sponsored uh, in honor for Hashem to give bracha to her and her children. Abundance brachas and yeshuas for her and her children. May this all materialize in a revealed, revealed good. Thank you so much for all those that have dedicate, dedicated. This is, I uh, would be impossible to do this holy work without your partnership. Thanks again. Uh, this week is a very special parsha. It's Parsha's Vayakel. And in addition to Parsha's Vayakel, it is also Shabbos Parsha Shkolim. Um, the the um, meaning of that is that in addition to reading the Torah portion of Pashas Vayakil, we also have an extra reading and we take out another Sefer Torah and we read the Parsha of Kisisa, which is the opening, um, the opening uh, uh, verses of last week's Torah portion of Pashas Kisisa. And this is a, a, uh, the first one of the four 
special readings that we're going to read over the next like five weeks or so. Usually it's, it's always in the month of Adar. When there's two Adars, it's in the second Adar, in which we begin reading these special parshios. Um, this week is already the Shabbos, in addition to all the other special things of the Shabbos, it is Shabbos Mevorchem, it is the Shabbos we bless the new month of Adar Sheni. Um, so in, we're going to begin that reading. Now, the first one is Shkalim. The reason why we read this is because there was a mitzvah that the Jewish people, everybody had to give a half of coin, a, rather not a half a coin, a special coin called the Matzah Sashekel. And that Matzah Sashekel was a yearly contribution. Every Jewish male was obligated to participate in which from these money that was collected, the Beis Migdash would um, buy all the communal sacrifices. Every day in the Beis Migdash there was a daily communal sacrifice, the two karban tamids, one in the morning, one sheep in the morning, one sheep in the afternoon, and also on Shabbos and on Rosh Chodesh and on all the holidays. Where did that money come from to buy all those karbanos, all those sacrifices? So they came from the communal fund, which everybody was obligated to give only a half a silver coin called the matasa shekel, and um, you couldn't give more, you couldn't give any less for this fund. All the Jewish people were equal in this fund. It was a yearly collection. And being that this collection was done during the month of Adar, so that the new money should be available already Pesach time for Nisan. So therefore, the sages instituted that this should be read every year as a reminder to the Jewish people. Today's days, when we don't have a temple yet, hopefully we will have one this year, uh, and which we cannot yet fulfill the mitzvah of giving the Machtas HaShekel, we still read the portion of the Machtas HaShekel every year, and we do it this Shabbos. Now, being that this is such an important mitzvah, that even though, which we see from the fact that there's a special reading to commemorate it, and even though we don't even have the mitzvah today, the sages still tell us to take out another Torah, which is huge, it's a very, very big deal, to take out another Torah and to make a blessing on the Torah, which you can't just do out of just because you like to do so, take out a Torah and make a blessing and read in it. It's, you know, we're very careful with blessings. Yet, the sages instituted this for the Jewish people, even Bizman Azeh, so that we shouldn't forget this great mitzvah. It means that there must be such tremendous significance and importance to this mitzvah, even in today's days when we can't do it physically, we still have... Some, we do do a little remembrance to this physically, and right before Purim, on Tainus Esther, we all give tzedakah, and we give a half a coin, that is, in our case, we would give a half a dollar um, for, for every member of the family, there's different ways of doing it, the Femen Hagim, three half a coins, whatever it is, but that's really not the real Machtas HaShekel. Um, so we have to say that even though physically we cannot do this mitzvah, we still can do this mitzvah spiritually. So I would like to explore today the significance of the shkalim. What does the machtas shekel mean? I'd also like to connect it to some degree to Parshas Vayakel as well, in which in Parshas Vayakel we read about the mitzvah of building a mishkan. Moshe gathers the Jewish people to build a mishkan, and it is an introduction to the building of the mishkan. He warns them about keeping Shabbos that the construction of the Mishkan, even though it is so important, does not override Shabbos, and we cannot desecrate Shabbos in the building of the Mishkan. So the Pasuk says, six days a week you should work, and the seventh days, and the seventh day is, well, that work should be done, and the seventh day is a day of Shabbos, it's a day of resting. So we're not going to speak any particulars about Pasha's Vayakil, but I do want to talk about the general idea of Shabbos. 
What is the difference between the way we serve God during the week and the way we serve God on Shabbos? Obviously, everything we're doing during the week, even our mundane activities, is also part of a mitzvah, as it says clearly in the parsha. Hashem is telling us six days of the week work should be done. It, um, implying that it should be done. We should work. And somewhere else it says, you should work. And obviously this means to serve Hashem. Because everything that we do, we are completely servants of Hashem. And a servant doesn't have time off. A servant serves his master all the time. If you're an employee, then you have vacation time. A servant belongs 100% to his master. And even when he's given time to rest, that too is for the service of his master, so that he should have the ability to serve. So there is no time off from serving God. Our entire being is to serve Hashem. So which means that even the weekdays in which we're engaged in mundane activity, it's also a service to Hashem. But yet we understand that it's very different our weekday during our service of Hashem during the week and our, our service towards Shabbos. So we'd like to explore what's the dynamic of that and connect that to the significance and the understanding of the mitzvah of Machtas HaShekel. Thereby, we're going to have an explanation, both on an idea of Parshas Vayakel and on Parshas Kisisa, on the Parsha of Shkola. So let's begin with a fascinating thing the Gemara tells us. In Masech the Sanhedrin, Adaflamites, the Gemara says that Remeir uh, used to give, he, was, he used to give many metaphors. And Remeir gave 300 metaphors, or as the Gemara calls them, fox fables. Fables, metaphors relating to a fox. And out of all the 300 fables, we only have three of them remaining. Um, the Gemara, however, doesn't tell us what those three fables are. The Gemara relates the three fables to three psukim. Rashi goes ahead and Rashi tells us what the fable that Rameir said. It's interesting that Rashi combines all three fables into one fable. And he says a story like this. That there was once, let me, the three psukim the Gemara relates is that, that Rameir said these fables are, is one pasuk is a pasuk in Yecheskel, where it says that our fathers ate sour grapes and our, and the, and, and, and the teeth of the children are on edge. The teeth, the teeth of the children are, are hurt, they're aching. That's one pasuk. There's another pasuk that says that um, tzaddik mitzara nechlats, that a tzaddik has escaped trouble. And the wicked comes in his place. The third, that's a pasuk in Mishlei, in Proverbs. Then there's another pasuk in which it says, Moiznei tzaddik, um, correct scales, righteous scales, avnei tzaddik, righteous weight, stone, stone weights or weights you should have. And Rashi goes and explains that there's one fable that is an explanation on all these three psukim. That the fox once encountered a hungry wolf. And the fox was a little uncomfortable being in the vicinity of the hungry wolf because the fox being that he's smaller in size than the wolf can end up being the wolf's, the hungry wolf's lunch. So in order to protect itself, the fox needed to think quickly. So he told the wolf, I see you're very hungry, uh, but I would like to share with you a place in which you can enjoy a wonderful, wonderful feast. A wonderful meal. You see, the Jews have uh, every Shabbos, the Jews love to party in general, but on Shabbos, they have an incredible, uh, 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 an amazing meal. As you can go, go around the Jewish neighborhoods on Erev Shabbos, on the day on Friday, you can smell the delicious foods. You can smell the kugels and the chalents and the kishkis and the yapsiks and all the other fine delicacies. It's unbelievable. It smells like Ganeden. And therefore, he says, um, you should go to the courtyard of the Jewish people on Erev Shabbos 
and maybe help out with the the pre-Shabbos preparations. You might be invited to their home, and then you can participate in this delicious meal of Shabbos. So the wolf heeds the fox on Erev Shabbos. He shows up to the Jewish neighborhood, and uh, unexpectedly, as he walks in and kind of tries to uh, offer up his uh, service and his help, uh, the people in the courtyard come out and brutally beat him up, uh, take sticks and beat the wolf until the wolf goes running, and he goes running back to the fox. He's all beaten and bruised and hardly, barely escaped with his life. He's angry at the fox and he wants to shred him to pieces. The fox sees the wolf and the fox says, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. He says to the wolf as follows, I feel so terrible that this happened to you. This is really, really bad. I didn't expect this to happen, but I think the reason why they did this to you is nothing to do with you. This was not meant to be. What happened was, this has to do with your father. Because your father once went to, did the same thing like you did, and joined them in their party. But... Um, when he, when he, um, uh, but but then he went and he ate up the best food. All the well, as, as the people turned away, maybe to go uh, sing Kabbalah Shabbos or whatever it is, the wolf had eaten up the best of the meal. And they, since they remember that, that's why they beat you up. So the wolf says, "Well, this is not my fault because my father sinned. That's why I have to pay the price." So the fox says, "Yeah, that's what the verse says in Yechaskel." In Ezekiel, that what that, a, that a fa- our fathers ate sour grapes, and we have to pay the price, and our teeth are hurting. So now the fox says, "But you know what?" He says, "I have another place. If you want to participate in a wonderful meal, I have somewhere else. Come with me." So the wolf follows the fox, and he comes to a well. And on the well, on top of the well, there is a beam of wood, a, a, a big wooden beam, and there is a rope. And at the bottom of the rope, there is a pail. And there is another pail tied to the other end of the rope that's on top of the well. So one, well, one, one pail is at the bottom in the water, and the other one is on top. The fox says to the wolf, watch this. He leaps up, jumps into the, into the pail that's on the top, and he gets a ride, he takes an elevator ride down, 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 down to the bottom of the well. Now it was at night, the wolf looks down into the dark, and he says, what are you doing? And he sees, and the fox says, take a look. And he shows him that in the water below, there is a reflection of the moon. And he says, take a look. Look at all this cheese that's down here. Rashi says, there is meat and there is cheese. And because the round, it looks like a round piece of cheese. The, 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 the reflection of the moon in the water looked like a piece of cheese. So he says, come over here. You can join me and this is wonderful down here. You have enough to eat and enjoy. So the, uh, the wolf says, but how in the world am I going to get down there? So he says, no problem. Hop into the pail. You see, when the fox went down, the other pail went up. She says, hop into the pail. So the wolf hops into the pail. And being that the wolf is heavier than the fox, the wolf goes down and the fox goes up. Now, uh, the, the wolf says, hey, where are you going? And then the wolf realizes that he's in trouble. He says, how am I ever going to get out of here? So the fox um, looks down to the wolf and says, take care, have a nice life. But really the fox, as, the, as, the, as Rashi concludes, says to the wolf, Tzadik Mitzara Nechlatz, the righteous one, from his troubles was redeemed, ex- extracted himself, is freed. And the wicked came in his place. So enjoy yourself down here because I'm, I'm leaving. And he also says to him, righteous scales. I guess he was referring to the two sides of the pail as a scale which delivers righteousness. The wicked end up below and the tzaddik 
and the righteous one ends up being freed. This is the story that the Gemara says, obviously that Rashi explains, obviously there is great, great, great deep mysteries behind this story. And let us find if we can find. Now, last week, Thursday night, I taught a discourse over here. And when I read the discourse, and I got to the part, which all the way at the end of the end of this very deep esoteric discourse, he explains this story. And it was such a treasure, it was so unbelievably insight, insightful and enlightening that I started dancing of joy. And then I said, I have to share this with the people who don't listen to the Thursday night class, which is, a, in this case, three and a half hours, um, and, and, and maybe try to make a synopsis of what we learned on Thursday night. So if you would like to hear the full lengthy version of this discourse, so you can, again, if you download it on my own app, you can find it under the Thursday night class, the last class posted. It's Pashas Kisisa, Bir Hadvarim, it's called Bir Hadvarim, the explanation of the matter, Al Pasa Kisisa. So look it up over there and listen to it and go for a long exercise or jog or on your treadmill or whatever you want to do. And please do yourself a favor and listen to this class. It's so enlightening. It's got a lot of Kabbalah, I have to do, I have to say. It's very, very esoteric. And now what I'm trying to do today is do a brief synopsis of this fascinating discourse from Torah or from the writings of the great Roshnir Zalman of Liadi, in which he gives us such unbelievable insight into the mitzvah of the shekel, machtas shekel, and he ties in the idea of Shabbos at the very end. And obviously today, being that we only have an hour in which we have to jam in a three and a half hour class, I'm just going to do literally briefly the main ideas, and hopefully with Hashem's help it will all come together. So let's go back, in order to understand the story, let's go back to the Machtas HaShekel. As mentioned earlier, this must be a very, very, very significant mitzvah if the Torah gives us, makes us make a memory of it every single year. So what is the idea of the mitzvah of Machtas HaShekel? So if we look at the opening verse in last week's parsha, Pasha's Kisisa, again in the parsha that we're going to read as the Haftorah of this week, we open up with the verse, Kisisa Esrosh Bnei Yisrael, when you are going to lift up the head of the Jewish people. Now, simple meaning of the words Kisisa means when you're going to count the Jewish people. And in order to count the Jewish people, you're not allowed to count people. We know that counting people causes, God forbid, uh, can cause chas v'shalom a plague. So therefore, in exchange of counting the people, that every yid is going to give, every Jew has to give a machtas shekel, and instead you're going to count the coins, and by counting the coins, you're going to save the people from the danger of being counted. That's the simple meaning. Now what did they do with the coins? Well, in the original story of Pashas Kisisa, they took the silver coins and they melted them, and they made them into the sockets at the bottom of the mishkan, at the bottom of the tabernacle, silver sockets. But as it applies to the yearly mitzvah, because when later and for all the future generations, they did not build the mishkan every year, and neither did they count the Jewish people every year. They didn't even take a census. So what was the point of giving the machtas shekel? As we mentioned earlier, they would bring all the communal sacrifices from the machtas shekel that the people gave. However, we need to understand why does the Torah use the term kisisa when you will... Now, sisa can mean... It could mean counting because you're receiving their number, you're receiving, Sisa uh, means like you're taking, it, it is, you're, 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 uh, mean, Rashi says that the word Sisa can also mean Sekabel, you're going to receive, but that's not the simple meaning of the word Sisa. Sisa usually means when you will lift up. So why is the Torah using the term when you will lift up the head of the Jewish people? Obviously, it is indicating that there's something deeper over here. That in addition to just receiving their numbers, it is also something about elevating, when you will elevate. Another thing is, since in the yearly Machtes HaShekel, um, they didn't even count the people, so you can't say Kisisa means only to count, because it's not being, on the yearly mitzvah, it's not being counted. 
So unless we say that the Parshas Kisis, so these words are only applying to the first year, which is difficult to say. So we have to say that on, the, on, the, on, the, on, on a much higher level, there is an inner meaning to the word kisisa, which means when you will lift up, and that's its application of the, of the word kisisa as it applies to the general machtas hashekel that is done for all generations. So therefore we can translate the Pasuk as follows. Kisisa, when you will elevate as Rosh B'nai Yisrael. It is the job, and who is Hashem speaking to? To Moshe Rabbeinu. It is the job of Moshe Rabbeinu. For those who listened to the Parsha in My Life classes in the past couple of weeks, we had dedicated two classes to the pivotal role that Moshe Rabbeinu plays in our, our connection to God. That we need to have a tzaddik that facilitates the mergence of our neshama with Hashem. So this is particularly the quintessential tzaddik, is Moshe Rabbeinu, in which all real tzaddikim, they, are, they have within their neshama a piece of Moshe. As the Zohar says, ispashtusa de Moshe b'chol dara v'dara, there is an ispashtus, there is a, 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 a diffusion of Moshe Rabbeinu's neshama in the tzaddikim of, of all generations. And these tzaddikim, their job is to lift the head of the Jewish people. What does it mean to lift the head of the Jewish people? The head of the, the, head of the Jewish people is our emunah. Because that's the highest part of our soul in which we can, in Amunah we connect to God. Everything that else that happens in our Yiddishkeit is a result of our Amunah. The very beginning is Amunah. After Amunah comes understanding. After understanding comes motivation. And after motivation comes motivation and inspiration. And after that comes behavior. So all the mitzvah and all the good deeds we do is rooted at the very, very root. What's the foundation? As it says, Tzadik Bamenasai Yichya. Chavaku came and he, and, he, and he narrowed the Torah down to one principle, to one foundation. And what is that? That Tzaddik lives, he's enlivened by his Amuna. So the Amuna is our nucleus of our Yiddishkeit. So that's why it's called Rosh. It's the brain of our, of our, of our service. So now, what is it saying? Your job is to lift up the Amuna of the Jewish people. What is the meaning of lifting the Amuna? So again, this is an idea that we had mentioned the last few weeks two times. And that is that Moshe Rabbeinu is called Reya Mehemna. Reya Mehemna means the one who nurtures our faith. What does it mean to nurture our faith? He doesn't have to create our faith because we all are maminim b'nei maminim. We all have natural intrinsic amuna in God. True, deep, powerful amuna in Hashem. The problem, however, with our amuna is that it's disconnected from daily choices. What is it, the really meaning of Amun? It's not just believing that there is a God. You know, uh, a Christian also believes in God. A Muslim also believes in God. The idea of a Jew's Amuna means that a Jew is meant to live his life 24-7 in absolute devotion, dedication to the service of Hashem. In order to be able to, to devote ourselves 1,000% exclusively to the service of Hashem and only to Hashem, we have our Ramuna that recognizes and understands and appreciates and, and, and is sharply uh, 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 aware that God is and there's none but Him. When you know with absolute certainty that Hashem is and there's none but Him, then you can devote yourself 100% to, to Hashem. Now we all know that the most important thing in our lives is Hashem and Torah and Mitzvah. Catch any Jew and speak to him, especially someone who is aware of Torah and Mitzvah. Sadly, there are Jews that externally at least are disconnected, or at least they think they're disconnected, not really disconnected. But if you have any person that is involved in Yiddishkeit and Torah and Mitzvah, speak to him, say, what's really important in life? What do you really want for your children? You say, I want my ch- child to grow up to be a Yerushamayim, a God-fearing person. The more Torah he does, the more Mitzvah he does. That's what he gives me real nachas. That means deep inside our heart, we know that everything else in life is 
as you say in Hebrew, shtuyot, it's all stupidity, it's all silliness, it's all empty, it's all, uh, but, but that real thing is to serve Hashem, to be connected to God. Yet, even though we know that the most important thing is to connect Hashem and serve Him, yet we know that all this is our general truth. That's what, that's our, that's an idealistic truth. But when it comes down to our day-to-day choices and everyday life, it doesn't always come through. That, that when it comes on a Tuesday afternoon, three o'clock in the afternoon, we're sitting in our office, we have some downtime, and you can take out a Mishnayis and learn a little Mishnah. You can learn a little, you can listen to a little a Torah clip. You can say a few kapitlich tehillim. You can pick up the phone, someone reached out to help, it needs your help, or whatever, they need you to help them find a loan, you need to help them do this, to do a mitzvah, to do whatever it is, you need to go visit the sick. And so you have an option to do that, or you can sit and waste your time. Literally waste your time. You can watch something silly that is not having any influence on your life on your computer. You might just sit around and read the, the newspaper. You can, I don't know, whatever, just waste time. We waste so much time with absolute narishkeit, with absolute foolishness. And this is the, what we think about, Tuesday, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, think about Wednesday, 11 o'clock at night, think about all the times in which we have choices to make in our life, and we make silly choices instead of devoting ourselves. How much time goes wasted instead of the mitzvahs that Hashem, the opportunity that we have to study, to go to a shir every night when you come home, even though you know, coming from work, you have an ability of a few to uh, learn with your children or whatever it is, these are all things that we all know we should be doing and yet, or even when we come to shul, we should know we should be davening and devoting, instead we sit and we chat with someone instead of focusing in on the davening, so this is all ridiculous things, choices that we're making because what's going on don't you believe that God is and there's none but Him, and the answer is, yeah I believe so but I don't know so so the idea of Re'ei Amunah is that Moshe Rabbeinu makes our Amunah permeate our being to be in a manner in which it pervades our entire space, in which he connects us, he connects us to our daily reality. That our reality should be that Hashem is real, as opposed to Hashem being a distant concept. You know the famous story of Rabbi Levi Yitzchak Barditch. Rabbi Levi Yitzchak Barditch once said, "Abish, Rabbi Levi Yitzchak used to always speak for, for the good of the Jewish people. He was the greatest advocate." And Rabbi Levi Yitzchak would say, "Abish, Hashem, had you put the Masechta that deals with Gan Eden and Gehenim, and had you put that in front of our eyes, and have you put in all the pleasures of the world in the book of Reishis Chachma? Reishis Chachma is a is a is a, a very very powerful, intense Musar work, a work of ethics." based on Kabbalah, by a student of the Holy Ramak. I forgot the name of the author of the Reish's Chachma. But in any case, a very, very powerful book. And um, over there, there is a chapter in which he deals, he lays out the entire, he takes you through a tour of purgatory. I don't recommend that you read it, it's, uh, unless you, have a, you can stomach it. It basically takes you through all the chambers of purgatory, exactly what's going on, who's in charge, the frightening angels, and I, there might even be chapters, I'm not sure, about uh, Gan Eden as well. I'm, I think there the, the probably is about the rewards and the light for the tzaddikim. So all this is discussed in Rashi's Chachma. And so, he, so he says, had you taken all the temptations and all the pleasures of the world and put it into Rashi's Chachma, and you would have put the, 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 the tractate Gan Eden and Gehenna, hell and, 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 and paradise in front of our eyes, and we would see the choices and we see what we can choose in our life, then of course we would always be doing the right thing. The problem is that what you put in front of our eyes, the reality that we see is the world and its pleasures. 
And godliness is a distant, distant, a distant voice in the back, back, high in our higher consciousness. There is an awareness that life is purposeful and meaning, and there's reward and there's punishment, and there is a higher MS and a higher truth. It's disconnected. So what is the point of Kisisas Reish Bnei Yisrael? The idea is when you will take the head, the amun of the Jewish people and lift it up, meaning to say that the Jewish people will lift their heads up from being entrenched, from being enmeshed in the silliness and the futile things of life in which our head gets so stuck in. Our minds get stuck in the every trivial things of life. And your job, Moshe Rabbeinu, is to lift their heads, meaning that they should put their head where it belongs, where our desires, aspirations, and as a result of that, our daily pursuits should be in the service of Hashem. So how will you accomplish that? How will you take the head of the Jewish people and connect it to where it belongs? For this Hashem gives us, tells Moshe Rabbeinu, it's by them giving a machtas shekel you will accomplish this. Meaning the mitzvah of machtas shekel has a very powerful effect on, on, the, on the general assembly of the Jewish people and all of Knesset Yisrael is to give the Jewish people the ability to lift our heads, to take us out of whatever it is that is pulling us away, distracting us from serving Hashem, and direct us into a connection with Hashem. What is the segula? What is the uniqueness of this mitzvah? I mean, obviously you say, every mitzvah, every time you do a mitzvah, you're forging a bond with God. And through that bond, you're connecting to Hashem, and that obviously intensifies your bond. No, but there is something about this mitzvah that enables us to pick our heads out from the mud and direct it towards the MS of Hashem, to recognize as Enoid Mulvadoi, that there is that there's nothing else deserves our attention but serving Hashem. And even when we have to engage in material things, it ought to be only as much and with the intentions of doing of serving Hashem. I'm working so I can feed my family, give them a Jewish education, and give tzedak and help people. That's my entire intention in my in my in my in my, in my Am I working for a livelihood? My entire purpose of eating and, and, and all the other things I do to keep my physical body alive so that I should have strength to serve God. That means amuna activated and that means your head is attached to Hashem. But in order to perceive and to, to, in order to experience that, we have the mitzvah of machzah sashekel. And here's the idea. That when a yid gave a machzah sashekel once a year, something powerful was downloaded into his, his neshama. And when this was delivered into his neshama, what it did was a dose of divine light, as we're going to see soon, that, in, that had a powerful effect in causing the Jew to eliminate, to remove all distractions, and to draw the Jew's attention to be 100% connected towards Hashem. To re, so in a sense, the Machtas HaShekel refocused, this, refocused us. Yearly, whenever we gave this mitzvah, the mitzvah of Machtas HaShekel was all about refocusing and reorienting the person, putting us back on track, so that our amuna should be, should be, so, should be at, the, at the crux of our life. It should, be, it should be at the center, the center point of our existence. Why? Why the Machtas HaShekel? So the significance lies in the fact that the shekel is called Shekel HaKodesh. It's the holy shekel. It's the idea that the shekel is the shekel of Kodesh. That is what's making, giving the shekel this ability to redirect us and to focus us. Why? Because what it really meant is that the shekel, when you did the mitzvah machzah shekel, 
what was there was a spiritual illumination. We can we will call it a download. Something extremely godly was downloaded. What was God? What was downloaded? A illumination from Hashem's absolute truth was delivered into our consciousness and into our soul. And when a Jew experienced the truth of God, when we can experience in a very real way the MS of Hashem, then then we drop everything. And everything all or every everything else fades its importance, its significance as if as if it doesn't exist. And the only reality becomes Hashem. You see, the reason why we get distracted, as we mentioned from Olevi Yitzhak is because godliness, because because God is a God that hides. And Hashem, when He created the world, has hidden Himself and masked Himself beyond veils and veils and veils and veils and veils. So the divine truth is hidden from the creations. And in the space of God, which really Hashem is everywhere and everything, in that space was created creations which, the, which, which they claim that they give off a sense of reality. It's such falseness, but it gives off a sense of reality. And, 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 and it looks to us as so real. And as, together with that reality comes that it's pleasurable and exciting and deserving of our attention. So, but that's because we don't sense the Hashem. But a Jew is different than a non-Jew. A Jew is not meant to live in this darkness the non-Jew is meant to live in this concealment. The Jew is meant to bring Hashem into this world. And therefore the Jew is not meant to live in this concealment and in this darkness. It's interesting, you know, the Gemara says that when Bar Kamtsa sent a korban, the story of the destruction of the temple on Tisha B'av, so it says that the, 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 the emperor sent a gift and this fellow by the name of Kamtsa uh, or Bar Kamtsa, remember right now, went and he made a slit in the lip. He cut the lip of the animal and he made a mum. And by the non-Jews, the, the, a, a slit in the lip is not considered a mum, and uh, it's not considered a blemish. But by the Jews, it is. And the Jews had a problem. Did they offer or not? Whatever. It's a whole story. But the Gemara says there are two mumim: the, the, the cut in the lip, and the other one is dukin sheba ayin, when there is a, a a little blockage on the eye. I forgot what it's called, uh, uh, a cataract. So a cataract on the eye is not considered a, a blemish in the non-Jews when they offer it up in their, to, to their gods. That animal is not considered blemished. But to the Jews, the Gemara says, by us it's a mum. So what is the deeper meaning, says Abshnir Zalman of Liadi? What does it mean to them it's not a mum and to us it is a mum? He says like this, a cataract on the eye means the Jew has vision. The vision that the Jew has is that there is no reality but God. God is the only MS. And there is nothing but Hashem. When a Jew does not see that, when there is a blockage and a yid does not see how enod milvado, so to us, to the Jewish people, because our souls are drawn from the inner, 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 innermost of God's truth, to us it's considered a blemish. There's something wrong, there's something off in the soul. To the non-Jew, it's not a blemish because they're created from the acharayim. They come from the back, back, back. They're not meant to see this truth. But the Jew is meant to see the truth. By Bilam, it says he was blind on one eye. In, 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 in Davening, we say, Anayim lahem, they have eyes, and they don't see. But for the Jewish people, it says, V'chol Yisrael Royim. These are the words he uses in the Mimer. They're such beautiful words. By Yidin, it says, All the Jewish people see. We have vision. And Chas Shalom, if our vision is blocked, we don't see. We don't see. Then what? That's a mum. That's a blemish. 
But we're not meant to live in that blemished state. So we have to heal. So the Machtas HaShekel brings healing. Why? Because the Machtas HaShekel brings that vision back into our soul. God blasts us with a blast of light. One blast of light that illuminates our soul. And that illumination is enough to keep us focused all year long. What is this? Why is it so special, the blast of light that comes on the Machtas HaShekel that's related to Kodesh? So let's understand just one, again, very briefly. It's a very rich and, 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 and complex idea. And that is that this, our, our sense of distorted reality in which the world seems to be so, 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 so real and so, such a, such a, such a metzias, such an existence, that it's again blocking the emes that Hashem is and there's none but Him, it comes in stages. It doesn't happen just like that. It's, it's, Hashem creates a world and the world blocks. This, this concealment of the divine comes in various different stages as Hashem processes the creation, he dims his light more and more. And part of the distortion already begins in the divine. That's the amazing thing. That the distortion begins already within, in, in the preparatory sto- stages of creation, even before creation begins. And that is when Hashem creates the world, there is God himself. And then there is an a illumination, an infinite illumination from Hashem that comes to encircle the creation, so to speak, and the Zohar calls it Sovev Kalalman, the encompassing light that encompasses all of, all of creation equally. And then there is a third dimension called Mamala Kalalman. Mamala Kalalman means that Hashem fills the world with a particularized, individualized energy to each particular creation. Now the Mamala Kalalman energy in which God lowers himself down, lowers himself down, lowers himself down to create the world in a very individualized way, that is also called Shekhinah. Shekhinah is from the word Shulchin. Hashem dwells he dwells within the lower worlds. And the Shekhinah, that is Shulchin, what is that? That, that translates also into the, into the word, the Shekhinah is Hashem's mouth. So it's the Devar Hashem, the word of God, that Hashem says, let there be light. Hashem said, let there be a firmament. Hashem said, let there be trees. Hashem said, let there be monkeys, and let there be rabbits, and let there be butterflies. and the world. Everything that Hashem spoke, and He said, let, them, let it exist. Now from the level of Shekhinah, there is already a lot of distortion. Because the very fact that Shekhinah is saying, let there be something, that contradicts the basic truth of God, that there cannot be anything but Him. So the fact that the Shekhinah is saying, let there be something else, means that the Shekhinah herself is living in divine concealment. That's just the way it is. That's why it's interesting. The Shekhinah, we mentioned this in other classes, is called Behema. It's an amazing thing, but that's what it says in Kabbalah. That the Shekhinah is called Behema Rabba, the big supernal animal. But why is it called Behema? Because Behema, an animal, doesn't have Das. And the Shekhinah is lacking Das. This is also the idea we say, Nashim Daiton Kalas. The women have a very light Das. It doesn't mean in general that women have less knowledge. It means that since Shekhinah is feminine and it represents the divine level, the aspect of, of divinity that is the most immediately present within creation, in order to, in, to create a world where the world should perceive themselves as such a, such a, take itself so seriously, God has to take the world also seriously. And to take the world seriously means he has to dim his own das. He doesn't have das on this level. And that's the idea that his das is very light. And that's why he's called behemoth. That's shechina. Okay? So that's, so, which, so therefore, let's now go back. If a person was to experience shechina illumination in his or her soul, 
would that give us the ability to totally disregard all the distractions and everything in the world and cleave to God 24-7? We would think, yeah, wow, imagine if the Shekhinah illuminates your soul. No. If the Shekhinah illuminates your soul, it would not have the power to overcome all the external temptations and all the external other things because Shekhinah itself leaves room for something to exist other than God. So it would not have the desired effect of taking the person and turning him to Hashem in a manner of total devotion to Hashem. Now, how about the higher level we said? Above the Shekhinah is an encompassing light, a light of Hashem that does not mitigate itself to the details of the creation, but rather Hashem creates all of creation in one sweeping swoop, in one encompassing desire, the level of desire. Hashem desires all of creation to exist, and from the level of the Soviv Kalaman, he, he, he creates all of creation. Now on this level, the creations have, the truth of God is far more pronounced, and the creations have very, 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 very minuscule significance. But you can't say the creations don't have any significance at all, because then why would you be referring to this light as encompassing the worlds? If this light is considered as an encompasser of all the worlds, the very fact that it is an encompasser means that it has some, re- what, some relationship to the creation. We're saying that he is bigger than the worlds. That means you're measuring him up to the creation. Since you're measuring him up to the creation, this light too leaves room to somewhat for the creation to have somewhat of a significance and a meaning. So even if we were to experience the expansive light of the Soviv Kalalman, or what we might refer to in another name, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Kadosh means transcendent, the masculine side of God. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that which is higher than the creation, we would, this is, we would think that this is, uh, this, if we were to experience an illumination from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, of course we're going to drop everything in our life and be 1,000% devoted to God all the time, and the answer is not necessarily. Why? Because even HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives somewhat of an importance to the creation because he is the sovev, he is the surrounder of all worlds. In order for a person to experience the true deep relationship that a Jew is supposed to have with God, in recognition that ain od malvado, literally, 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 the Jew has to experience a level that's beyond even the sovev, even beyond the encompassing light of God. And that is God's infinite light, before it has any whatsoever relationship to the creation at all. That's the Or Ein Sof itself. Or we might say, we might call it God Himself, the source of the light. When a person experiences the MS of Hashem, one time, if that was to be illuminated in our Neshama, that would cancel all attachments to everything else, because on that level, the Zohar says, Kula Kameh, all before him, everything, 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 some totality of all spiritual existence and physical world, all of reality is not, 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 has absolutely zero meaning. And if a person would be privy, if a person would be fortunate enough to experience this level that's beyond the Soviv Kalalman, then it would cause a complete extraction. We would pull us out of anything that is distracting us and focusing us to Hashem. And guess what? We are merit to experience this level. And that is the Shekel HaKodesh. You see, we mentioned before, Shekhinah. Shekhinah means the indwelling light. Kadosh Baruch Hu is the encompassing light, but yet it has a relationship to the creation. That's why it's called, it's interesting. It's called Kadosh and Baruch. Kadosh means removed, it's above. But Baruch means it's drawn down. Baruch means Every time it says Baruch, it means to cause a flow. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's both transcendent, but yet related. Then there is a level called Kodesh itself. Now let's hear an interesting idea that it says in, in Kabbalah. 
that there is two words. There's a word Kodesh, and there's a word Kadosh. What is the difference between Kodesh and Kadosh? Kodesh is spelled Kuf Dalet Shin. Kadosh is spelled Kuf Dalet Vav Shin. What's the difference? Kodesh without a Vav is much higher. The Zohar says Kodesh Mila Bigarmei is a word onto its own. Kodesh without a Vav represents essential transcendence as God is Be'etzem, the level of the divine as it is on its own without any adaptation to a creation where God is not concealing his light at all where the Indian of Enod Malvado is pronounced in its full clarity that's Kodesh Kodesh means that you're what's a, is, it means that you're drawing a little bit of illumination from that transcendence meaning you're not on the level of transcendence it's not, it's not absolute transcendence it's just a little hamshacha it's a little above means to draw down it's a little thread of light that's coming from the, from the absolute transcendence to allow a lower level to also be transcendent. That's the significance of a Kadosh Baruch Hu. Kadosh Baruch Hu is already a descent. It's taking the Kodesh down into a Vav, which means it's, the Vav is like the Baruch. It's what's drawing it down to be closer to the world. But yet, it's, it has a relationship. It's not canceling creation completely. Only from Kodesh is the reality of Hashem experienced in a manner of absolute MS, of absolute truth. Higher than a, Shabbos is the time of Shabbos Kodesh. We ascend unbeknown to us, but we ascend to such holiness that it's Yisrael, Umalk, it's only us and Hashem, nothing else exists on Shabbos. It's, the worlds are, are totally non-existent, so holy. And Shekel HaKodesh, by Shekel it says it comes from Kodesh without a Vav, because the Shekel is, this, is, is a, an alum, it's coming from, it's stemming, Hashem is telling Moshe Rabbeinu, give the Jewish people my Shekel, give them this into their Nishama, when they sense the Kodesh and the supernal holiness, they will drop everything and cleave to me, and nothing else will stand between us. Why was the Shekel made out of silver? The idea of why the Selk Shekel is made out of silver, okay, because there's some details that we need to, need to understand. First of all, why is the Shekel split in half? Machtus shekel. And in addition to that, why split? Why is the Shekel in, in, in silver? And what is the meaning of Shekel? So let's first uh, look at the silver part. You see, Kasef means is, is silver, but in, in every physical material thing also has a spiritual energy to it. The spiritual energy of silver is love. Love. From the Kasev comes from the word, Nichsoif Nichsafti, I am longing. So, what does it mean then? Kasev, that's coming from Kodesh, it's the Shekel HaKodesh, it's Kasev, Kasev HaKodesh. What that means, the love of the Ein Sof. Now, the, of this transcendental level of called Kodesh, now, if we see the love, who does God love if there's nothing but Him? And the answer is, he loves the other side of him. And who is that? Those are Neshamas. The only ones who exist in the level of Kodesh, other than God, are the Jewish souls, because they're not other than God, they are the other side of God. Hashem loves his Shekhinah, his wife, which the wife is a part of, like by Adam and Rishon, Chava was taken as a rib from Adam, which is a part of him. He loves his Shekhinah, he loves all the Jewish Neshamas. On that level, there is a boundless, infinite Kisufim, Hashem has longing for Nishmas Yisrael, for the Jewish souls. All He wants is to be in a relationship with us. All He wants is to be an embrace, in a, in a kiss 
with the Jewish people. And that's the idea of Kesef HaKodesh. And when we say that we draw down, Hashem says, Moshe Rabbeinu, Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, I want you to communicate my love to them. Shekel HaKodesh. I want Kisisas Rosh, you want to lift their head by having them experience how much I boundlessly love them. And when they will sense that, they will realize how everything, they will sense me and my truth and my MS and they will cleave to me and abandon everything else. That's the Kesef. Why is it split in half? It's split in half is because just like we know in our own relationships, in when, it, when, when, we, when, we, when we're, we want to feel desired and we want to feel needed and we want to feel wanted. We don't want to just love, we want to be loved. And God is the same way. He wants us to love Him. He knows that He's able to continuously attract us, excite us. He's able to illuminate our souls and with His truth. And when we recognize the pure bliss and ecstasy of God's MS, of God's truth, and the truth, then we would drop everything and only love Him. But that's not what He wants. He wants it to be our choice. He wants it to be what we come to from our understanding and we turn to Him. Not that He's pulling us. Like a husband wants his wife to desire Him. He doesn't want to just romance her all the time that she and, 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 and bring her close to Him. I mean, He knows that at times He needs to do that. But still, He very much would want her to desire Him. God wants the same thing. He wants His wife to desire Him. Therefore, But He knows on the other hand. He knows how distracted we are. He knows how when he sends our neshamas into a body, how much the body conceals and blocks our spirituality and our and our and our sense. How how the body distorts our emes and creates such an illusion, blocking the the truth of Hashem. And therefore, Hashem knows that He needs to send us a little reminder to wake us up. And that is called. That's the idea of why the machtas hashekel is divided in half. What Hashem does is, Hashem says like this, Moshe Rabbeinu, I want you to deliver a dose of my love to them, of my kesef, of my love to them. But I'm going to split it in half. Half of it is going to come as a stimulator to initially spark them so that they get a little zinger of my love so that it will awaken them and they can sense my truth so that it will turn them around from whatever it is that they're busy with and they will long for me. That's number one. Then, but then I want them to start doing work on their own. They can't rely on me just loving them all the time and pulling them. I want to hide. Then I'm gonna, then the, 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 this divine revelation is going to expire. And now they're going to be left to their own devices. And then I want them to work to seek me out. Once they seek me out, then I'm going to unify with them on a deeper level. And, I'm going, and then the second unification that comes as a result of them seeking to be connected to me is going to be much deeper and it's going to be permanent. The first one is going to be just a passing phase. This is what it says in Kabbalah and Hasidus that there's two types of a sarusa Elah. There's two types of arousal from above. One is a temporary one. It comes before our avodah. It's meant to just give us a little tickle. It's meant to just give us an awakening. Then Hashem waits for us to do our resurusadilatata, our arousal from below. And as a consequence of our arousal from below, Hashem will then reciprocate and illuminate our soul with a second revelation, and that's permanent. This is compared, he explains it in Tanya, to an intimacy in which a man will come home and he has to do something romantic. He'll buy her flowers, he'll give his wife a little look in order to show her that he's interested and he wants to be close to her. Or, he, or as in the words of the Alter Rebbe, he says, Hashem gives us an embrace. He might have to give her a hug. And man, a hug will turn her away. She's tired, she's exhausted. She's been so, so 
so drained from the children and from running the house or whatever it is that she's been involved with. And now he gives her a little, a little trigger to trigger his love to her. Then he wants her to be turned on to him with her excitement. As she is turned, is excited and seeking and desiring to be close to him, then he will have the deeper intimacy in which he will transmit of himself, of his essence into her. And then she can conceive and she, she, she can create a replica of him, which is her, her children in this world. And the same is our relationship with God. There's a first and initial hug. If we respond to the hug and we're seeking in prayer to cleave and to connect to God, then after prayer, when we do a mitzvah, that's the, or when we study Torah, there is the intimacy. And Hashem is literally transmitting something of Himself into us. We conceive that light, and we can, through that light, we create new holy light in this world. New neshamas are born in this world. It's a mystical idea, but an amazing idea. We're actually causing something godly to be brought into this world permanently. This is the idea of... Of, so that's the concept of matzah sashekel. Hashem divides it in two halves. One is the stimulator, and one is the reciprocation that comes after our avoda. One is meant to lift us up. The other one is meant that after we're open, and we've expanded and opened ourselves up to God's light, Hashem will channel His light down into us, into our. One is called or chayzer, returning light, and the other one is called or yashar, descending light. Or chayzer means that Hashem is giving us a, a, a zinger of light, but the point of it is to draw us up towards Him, to lift us up. The other machzah sashekel comes after we do our avodah. Hashem is causing His, His presence to descend into our world so we can be a dira betachtainim so Hashem can live amongst us. That's why it says, machzah sashekel truma l'ashem. Half the coin that's coming is coming to truma. This is the first half, the one that comes before our service. Truma Hashem to make us, lift us up to God that we should be elevated towards Hashem. Now we're going to understand something fascinating. Why? And that's why it's also called shekel, because shekel means a scale. Shekel means to weigh. Hashem weighs it into two sides of the scale. One is descending light, and the other one is ascending light. It's causing to pull us up. These are the two halves of that silver coin of that godly infinite love of Kodesh that comes into our Nisham. And what does this accomplish? It lifts our heads up. What did they do with the Machtas HaShekel? We see this amazingly. What they did with the Machtas HaShekel was they bought a, they would buy the Karbanas, they would buy the animals. And the animals were burnt on the altar. So what is the significance of that? So simply you learn, I mean, just from a, from a very chitzoniistic, a very superficial perspective, they need to bring Karbanas they, and they, and you have to, it has to come from the people. So what? So what do you? And you can't have you can't steal the animals. So in order to have the animals, you have to buy them. So you buy them with the coins. That's a singular, simply just a technical element. But here we see it's very, very deep. You see what did we say earlier? We do not have the ability to turn ourselves and wrench our, ourselves free from all the distractions, from all the worldly things that our minds are sore, from our distorted reality. We don't have the ability to etch, to free ourselves from it unless God first gives us that illumination from above. In other words, He has to deliver the half a shekel into our soul. And when He delivers that half a shekel into the soul, that MS causes this awakening and this, and this ability to, to recognize that God is the MS in our life. That means that in order to raise our animal, and that's the whole significance over here, the animal, which is the human being, when, we're in a, when our neshama comes in our body, our neshama is called behema, like an animal. 
that animal needs to be lifted up. First of all, we have an animal soul in general, which it serves as the blockage that doesn't allow us our ego that completely encompasses us and blocks us from seeing the truth. That's number one, our animal soul. That has to be elevated. First of all, the negative parts of it need to be eliminated, and the good part of it needs to be elevated. So that's the significance of taking an animal and putting it on the altar. You see, when the Jewish people took an animal and put it on the altar, it wasn't just killing animals. It had a deep psychological effect on them. In the Beis Amigdash, whenever the animal was put on the fire, burning up for God, it meant that the animal inside of us, part of the animal was eliminated, and the good part of the animal, so the potential of it to be included in holiness, was directed towards divine worship, and the Jew can leave and yearn to Hashem. As a result of the of the carbonates in the base of Mingdash, it kept on, it kept on push, taking, affecting the Jewish people daily, and of course when we did an extra one on Shabbos and on Yom Tif, it had even more impact. But even deeper than that, not only is our animal soul called animal, but also our neshama, as we spoke a few weeks ago, most of our souls are called seed of animal because we don't have the das. We don't have, only very high neshamas have the das, have the ability to see clearly Hashem's emes. But most of us don't. So, we, so it's called animal, animal is lacking dust. How do we turn around from our worldly distractions to Hashem? We can't do it on our own. You have to buy the animal. See, here is what's happening over here. The machzah shekel is being delivered into the animal. That's what you mean. You're purchasing with the half a coin, with the love of God. God is loving us, causing us to love Him back, causing the animal inside of us to be elevated on a deeper level. It's not only us that's called animal. What did I say earlier? The shechina herself is called animal. In other words, the Shekhinah that, that creates the illusion in the first place, that gives off the, 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 the distortion as if the world is, is, is a significance, is an entity, the Shekhinah itself also needs to be on this, elevated from her, from her descent into the world so that she should realize that God is the only truth. Yes, I create a creation. Yes, the world seems to be materialized into something. But I know that this is just a game. There's a real deeper truth that there's none but Hashem. And I'm yearning to cleave to His MS, to His truth. How does the Shekhinah be elevated? Hashem sends roses. Hashem sends a hug to his wife. That's the Kesef. That's the Machtas Hashekel to elevate the Behema, which is the Shekhinah, with all the Neshamas. Consequently, all this ought to have a yearning to Hashem. That's the significance of Machtas Hashekel. And then he adds an amazing thing. That's why it says, Lipkudehem. Lipkudehem means to count them. But Pikudehem, Kesisas Rosh B'nei Lipkudehem. Kudayam also means to eliminate. What is the elimination? Why? How do you know elimination? Because it says, by the David HaMelech, for instance, it says, David, that the place of David was vacant, absence. Lip Kudayam means to cause a vacancy. What does it mean to cause an, a vacancy? To cause an elimination. What do you want to eliminate? Chas v'shalom, what do we want to eliminate? We want to eliminate the klipa. We want to eliminate this, this the, 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 there are certain, first of all, there's the general, there's the general, um, um, concealment and blockage that we live in and that needs to be eliminated that we should be able to see reality for what reality really is and here's the deal as a result of taking the animal and putting it on the mizbeach the animal distortion the animal consciousness disappears and we see the truth that's number one but on a deeper level he explains that in general we know that we all have within our soul certain negativities we have a lot of good traits, we have, but we also have a lot of negative traits, which comes to us not necessarily by our fault. We're born with negative traits. We're born with, with various different pollutants in our soul related to the chet of the etzadas, in which good and bad got mixed. And there's a lot of pollutants and toxics, toxic waste in our neshama, or at least in our animal consciousness. And that needs to be rectified and purified. 
There's only so much that we're able to purify through active work, through conscious work of working on. I say, you know, now I, I know that greed is a bad thing. Let me try to work on, on, on eliminating greed. Let me try to work on eliminating jealousy. Let me try to work on eliminating anger. Let me try to work on eliminating arrogance and haughtiness. Fine. There's only that much we can work because a lot of the negativity is in our subconscious. So we can only work on eliminating the bad from our conscious, not from our subconscious. In order to eliminate the negativity from our subconscious, the only way to do that is through divine illumination. When God's light takes hold of our soul and we're suddenly ablaze with a godly fire, that takes all the klipa from the deepest recesses of our soul, from our subconscious, and it causes the soul to eject it and to push it out. Like we see when you take silver and you take it out of the ground, silver or gold or whatever it is, in order to clean it, you put it in a fire. You put it in a fire, the fire melts the silver. And as the silver is melted, the bad, the sediments, whatever is bad in it, the dirt comes out. Without the fire, you don't even notice the dirt. You clean it, you clean it, you clean it until it comes out. And the more you keep it in the fire, the more dirt comes out. And the same is also in our connection to God. The deeper our union with Hashem comes in prayer, in deep love with Hashem, the schmutz comes out. That's why it's a fascinating thing that in davening, we say, Slach lanu, avinu, we ask Hashem for forgiveness. We wait to Shemayna Esrei to say, Slach lanu. When the question is, you know, we know during davening you're going through various different stages of moving closer and closer to Hashem. In the beginning of davening, you're standing in the outer courtyard, and then you're moving. In the Bashmona Esrei, you're standing mamish in front of the throne. In the words of Hasidic terminology, Bashmona Esrei, you're standing mamish in the in the in the world of Atzilos, face to face with God. The question is, does it make any sense to start doing your laundry right in front of God? To start talking about your sins, you want to clean your sins, you want to brush off. You want to remove the stains of your, uh, of your clothing and whatever? Do that. You want to shower? Don't do that in front of Hashem. Do that before you begin davening. Why don't we say, Ashamnu Bagadnu, before we start davening? We wait for Ashamnu Bagadnu after Shmona Ezri. We say, Slach Lanu, right in front of Hashem. We're asking. And the answer is given in Hasidus, an amazing thing. He says, because we're not talking about real, real coarse, crass sins. Of course that you have to do tshuva before davening. That's what tikkun chatzos is. That's what kriyish mashalamita is. You, you, you eliminate, you erase real negativity. We're talking about subtleties, subtleties, subtleties. Things that you don't even notice they're bad until you're standing and you're looking God in the eye. You're standing in front of Hashem and you realize, gewald, gewald, gewald. What's with me? Everything, even the mitzvahs that I'm doing, I'm doing them with such crassness. In front of such a God is this mitzvah, mitzvah. Am I really, really, am I, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking of myself while I'm davening. I'm thinking, I'm involved in such narishkeit. As you start realizing things that you didn't even see as sins become, become sins. You know, for a tzaddik, even the tiniest little blemish is a blemish. It's huge. But when you're standing Shmon Esri, you're on a level of being a tzaddik. And that's why at the time of Shmon Esri, the negativity is extracted and pulled out, out of your soul. And that's the second benefit of Kisisas Reish Bnei Yisrael. When you lift the head of the Jewish people and we take ourselves out of the darkness and we come to a state of Trumal Hashem, we're elevated to Hashem and we're in deep union with Hashem during davening, Lipkudeim, that's when the negativity is eliminated deeper and deeper. And that's the meaning of also Venasno Ish Kofer Nafsho. Every person should give in a cleansing for their soul. Kofer means a kapara. By, through this experience, you'll give a kapara. Kapara, Rashi says, means cleaning. You will clean off. The shmutz will come out and it will be cleaned. So the Mahtas HaShekel brings a deep internal purification of the soul so we can clean ourselves to Hashem. So 
to bring this all together again towards and relate this to Shabbos. So he says an amazing thing. That what? That at the end, that just like we have the Machtas HaShekel that does this cleansing, he says we have this on a weekly, on a weekly level as well. Shabbos is a time of union with God. During the week, we have business to do down here in the world. Our neshama becomes enclosed in mundane life in our bodies. The world becomes, becomes very real during the week. The problems of life, our need for livelihood and everything becomes, becomes amplified, it becomes magnified, it becomes huge. Spirituality shrinks during the weeks. For sure, our spiritual consciousness shrinks. Our physical material, our animalistic reality expands. That's during the week. There's a purpose for it. The purpose is so we can be within the world, so we can elevate sparks. Friday night, however, our souls begin a process of ascending. Shabbos is a time when we ascend above creation. It's called Aliyah Olamos. The neshama, the shechina leaves the darkness, the dark crevices, the concealments. The shechina is elevated into reunification to her source with Hashem. As the shechina ascends, all the neshamas come along with her. That's the idea of the chadaydi likras kala. The kala, the, the bride, the shechina, the Jewish people are going towards God. We know Friday night is a time most appropriate for intimacy between a husband and a wife. Friday night is intimacy between Hashem and the Jewish people. Our souls enter into a place where we can experience Hashem's light. Shabbos, as we said earlier, is called Kodesh. We go higher and higher, above Shechina, above HaKadosh Baruch Hu, into the level of essential Kodesh without a Vav. We're reaching Shabbos Kodesh, into the highest, into the deepest connection to Hashem. As we go up on Shabbos to receive this great illumination, as a result, and, and we're experiencing all this illumination, as a result of the pleasure that God got from our work during the week. So on Shabbos we experience this great party, great divine illumination. And it says that all the blessings that we get during the week really comes to us on Shabbos. Because Hashem is so satisfied with the work that we did during the week in which we did gold mining and digging for sparks of holiness, when we come back on Shabbos into the transcendental state, Hashem parties with us and illuminates, gives us gifts and gifts. Shabbos, unbelievable time. Now it says an amazing thing. When we, are, when we begin to ascend upward, who wants to come along with us? The klipa, the unholy, which are like parasites, want to join us for the party. But what did we say earlier? When you go up and stand in front of the king, what happens to the klipa? The klipa is ejected. The klipa cannot stand in front of the king. It says, La evil cannot live in your presence. So the klipa must be dismissed. This klipa must run away. So that's it says in the Zohar that every Friday night, when Shabbos is coming, there is a, a whip Hashem takes a whip, and there is a big, there is, because as the neshamas start ascending Friday afternoon towards God, it says the klipa follows them. He wants to also join, to receive energy in the same place where we're going on Shabbos. A powerful fiery rod comes down and, 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 and whips and, and slams the klipa down, and the klipa goes falling. It cannot ascend together with us. That's why the Arizal says, that's the reason why on Friday night we take a, on Friday night, on Friday, I'm sorry, Friday afternoon, we take a shower. What is the reason why we have to take a shower on Shabbos afternoon? So the Arizal says, Friday afternoon, the reason is because as your body is going into holiness, aside for just covet Shabbos, you have, to, you have to look good on Shabbos, you have, to, you have to be fresh on Shabbos. Another reason is because, you see, on the, to the body, you have sweat, you have uh, dirt under your nails. These are all related to the klipa, that are parasites that are whole, clinging to your body. 
and you want to eliminate them before Shabbos comes because they're not allowed to come into Shabbos with you. So the Arizal says that's why we're supposed to use hot water because we have to connect. The ability for us to reject the klipa comes from this rod, this fiery rod that comes down to push the klipa out. It's the same idea that we said in the Machzus HaShek, a lip kudeyem, that eliminates the bad. When you're coming close, the bad is tossed away and pushed out. Same idea happens every Erev Shabbos and that's the idea of the shower, Erev Shabbos. Now we'll understand it. Now, but there's one more idea very quickly and then we'll go back to the fox and the wolf. However, it says that whenever we have an extraction, whenever we're pulling out good from bad, as a result of our avoda during the week, in which we're involved in the material physical world, in which we're collecting sparks of holiness and taking it away from the klipa, from the, from the unholy, and bringing and elevating it to Hashem on Shabbos, we can't just run away with the gold and leave them with nothing because then they will throw a fit and they will rebel and they'll scream it's not fear and Hashem likes to be fear to all his creations. So when, as we ascend and we pull out everything from them, we do have to give them something. We have to give them a little gift. We have to give them a little bone, a little gift. When, a, when, a, when, a, when, a, when, a, when you have a dog that runs away with your barbecue that you're planning to eat, and so you throw him a bone so he drops everything else and he, he drops the, the meat that he ran away with and he runs after the bone. It's the same idea we know by Sar Lazazel, Yom Kippur. It says we give, we throw a goat down the cliff. It says it's a gift to the Satan. We give him a little bit of something. But we're really taking so much more. We're doing tshuva. We're taking all the energy that the Satan has taken from us. During the year, we pull it all out. We give him something. In the end of every meal, we go mayam Those who follow the Arizal's custom, we say a pasuk. Zech, before we do Mayim Achroinim, the water at the end of the meal, we say, Zech Chelek Adam Rasha. This is the Chelek that we're giving to the Rasha. We're giving to the wicked. We're giving them something. Because the meal is a, is, is, is a Mizbeach. We're elevating sparks. We're taking away what once belonged to the Klippa and we're bringing it into Kedusha. We've got to give him a little something. And that is true in all, that is true in all, and whatever we're doing in extraction. Whenever we're doing an extraction, we have to give him something. And that's the meaning also of a nasno ish koifer nafshali. You have to give the klipa something. He explains that that's the idea of kaparas on Erev Yom Kippur as well. I'm giving you something, let my neshama be extracted. So therefore, now let's go back to the story of the fox and the wolf. You see, the, fox, the wolf represents the klipa, the unholy. And now the wolf is... Is, is, is comes to the fox and he's hungry, which means that the klipa is always looking to steal energy. Just like we're taking chayas away from the klipa, the klipa is looking for survival. So the fox tells the wolf very cleverly, you want to join, you want to have a party, you want to get real energy, real life. Go to the Jews in Erev Shabbos because Shabbos they're going up to, to party with God. Shabbos they're going up to such elevated states. They're going to be in such connection with the Ein Sof. You want to join along and experience that great light. Join along. Go to the Jews. The fox comes, the, the, the wolf comes and what happens? They beat him up because we say earlier that the, flat, that the rod, the fiery rod comes and hits the klipa makes it fall. That's what happened. The, the klipa falls down. It's pushed away. The dog comes crying. I was beaten up. What do I do? So the fox says there's another place where there is energy and that is, instead of the transcendental light that's experienced by the Jews on Shabbos, there is a deep well. What's the well? What's the deep well? That's the lower worlds. Our, phys- our, our existence during the weekday, in which we're engaged in the material world. What did we say? What's at the bottom of the well? Sparks of holiness. 
sparks of holiness that are there, that are waiting to be retrieved. We go down into the well, that's the significance of the fox going down. The fox going down is the neshama going down during the week to elevate these sparks of holiness. So the fox goes down, interesting, and why is it, and what does he see, what does he show the wolf? Cheese, a moon, moon that looks like cheese at the bottom of the well. What is the significance of the moon reflection? So mystically, Kabbalistically, we don't have time to elaborate on this. The fallen sparks are associated with the moon. It's the name of 52 of Hashem's name, which we're not going to get into. Shame Ban, the name of 52. Which the name of 52 is associated with the moon, which is the fallen, the name of God that's associated with sparks of holiness that have collapsed and fallen. And that's why, because the moon we know we say, there's an union of Pagam. We say, Pagim HaSalavana. The moon is related to the shattered vessels. So therefore, we, we, say, we say, take a look, the moon is in the water. Why in the water? Because where is the, where is the fallen sparks? In the, lowly, in the lowly pleasures of this world. There is sparks of holiness in all the material pleasures of the world. It needs to be elevated. How do you elevate? That's why he shows in the moon, and that's the idea that the lower waters are crying. We want to be in front of the king. The lower pleasures want to be elevated. And they're waiting for a Jew to elevate them, to use them for the right purpose. That's why when the fox goes down on one side of the pail, the other pail comes up with the water, which means it's sparks of holiness that we're elevating. That's what we do during the week. Okay, very good. But the fox, the wolf says, I'm hungry too. So the fox says, hop in. You can, which means the idea, he says, that we have to give the wolf something. So the wolf comes down and he says, what is it? I'm not exactly clear what he means by it, but it seems to be saying that during the week, during the, in the idea that the clip is able to, to bother us, it's able to hurt us, it's able to make heavy. When the wolf came down on one side, he made, the, made it heavy. It makes the word work difficult. We have all kinds of distractions. Sometimes we even have pains and aches that come from the klipa. There is different things that bite at us. The wolf is out on our heels all week long, distracting us, hurting us. But we should know that that is to his demise because the wolf doesn't get out of the well. The fox goes down and comes out. Tzadik mitzara nechlatz. He's extracted from the well. He only goes down to retrieve the, fra- the sparks and then he comes up. The wolf comes down, but in the end, he ends up falling to the depth of darkness. And Kedusha is redeemed. This is the idea. May we merit to experience the ultimate redemption now.
Bye.